This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense, an S&P Global podcast covering all things on the intersection of energy and finance. This is your host, Hill Baden, and I'm here today with Kevin Lindemer to talk about sustainable aviation fuels. Kevin, how are you? Very good, Hill. How are you? I am doing well. So so this is, uh, I was mentioning before we hit record, that this has been a, a real curiosity of mine. You, you and I spoke uh, maybe about a year ago about biofuels. And I've been reading more and more about sustainable aviation fuels, or or SAF, as uh, often they are abbreviated. Um, And I find it to be interesting on so many levels, one one of which it really seems to be one of these kind of champagne problems that the world is dealing with, where a small minority of the world's population travels on an airplane. Um, so, So most of the world is not contributing to the CO2 emissions that come from aviation. Um, but those of us that do contribute to that aviation problem or the CO2 problem, it, it is the majority of our CO2 impact in the world or, or in our kind of in, in our personal emissions. And, and as a whole, I think what the aviation industry accounts for about two and a half percent of global CO2. So it's not a huge number relative to things like cement and some of these other larger emitting industries, but a really interesting um, I guess, opportunity for transportation or for lower carbon transportation. So so I guess if you could help kind of frame just to set us up how the aviation industry is approaching sustainable aviation fuels and and kind of where we are in the life cycle of the process. Sure. Um, You're right about the um, emissions from aviation. It's uh, about two and a half percent of global emissions. But when you incorporate sustainable aviation fuel into the fuels, it results in, it can be applied to all of the aircraft. So we don't need to wait for a fleet turnover. Now, the, so as you add low carbon uh, to um, regular jet fuel and they're, they're blendable, infinitely blendable, uh, we have um, the current spec, you are allowed uh, up to 50% SAF in uh, in jet fuel, and we're now starting to see uh, new engines being developed that can be run on 100% sustainable aviation fuel. The way the airlines are approaching this is they're much more proactive than other customers of biofuels have been for like diesel fuel or ethanol and some of those. Mm-hmm. The airlines have, in general, are asking for, or are planning for about a 10% SAF blend as a goal for 2030. So they're really okay. being very aggressive in uh, their their aspirations for adapting uh, SAF to their fuel. And what's that 10% coming from? Where are we now? We're at a very low number now. I think we're, we're less than 1%, maybe even okay. a half a percent. So there is going to be, uh, it's going to be a big challenge for the fuels industry to, uh, to reach a 10% volume by 2030. What what are what's some of the process involved? If we look at the, the I guess the refining complex today, 
how much, you know, if we we're able to secure the feedstocks, can we make the sustainable aviation fuels or, or is there a lot of investment in kit that needs to happen before that ramp up begins? There's going to be, we're going to need a lot of investment. Uh, and there are really three, I call it like uh, three waves of uh, sustainable aviation fuel supply that could come in. And those each wave is based on a technology and cost. So in the near term, the first wave would be taking renewable diesel plants that already exist and running them harder. And you then make more jet fuel and you make less renewable diesel fuel. So that's the first wave that can come in. And and uh, so that supply is, relatively speaking, short-term availability. And where, second, sorry, right. before we get into the second part, where is that? Is that US-based refineries, European-based Asia? Is it all over? Is there a concentration? Most of it is US and Europe. We do have, there are some plants out in Asia, and many of, much of that volume actually supplies uh, U.S. or Europe. And there are, there are a lot of other plants being discussed and planned all over the world, but it's going, it is driven by a favorable policy environment in the consuming country. In the consuming, not the producing. Not the producing country. Interesting. Okay, I'll come back to that, but let's go on to the second wave. The second wave is taking uh, ethanol and making jet fuel out of it. And we are beginning to see more of those kinds of plants being considered. So there is a pilot plant or there are some pilot uh, plants and maybe uh, there may be one other one that's out there that are operating. But we're now starting to see a, a great deal of interest in in being able to take ethanol made from corn or from sugarcane or some other biomass product and uh, converting that into jet fuel. And that would be the second wave. And I'd say, you know, we're going to, we'll start seeing those technologies or those types of plants coming in uh, probably 2025, 2026 is when we could probably expect to see some of those come online. And is the technology or the capital the, the hurdle as 2025 it's, only being three years away, so, so, so not far. It's cost. It requires, uh, it needs uh, policy incentives that are high, that are relatively high to pay for it. The technology is not really a, uh, a hurdle. The, the technologies are pretty well understood, and in one way or another, they're being used in other forms in the processing industry. Okay. And the third wave? The third wave is one that we are also beginning to see emerge now which is taking biomass like woody biomass or municipal solid waste and converting that to jet fuel. Those plants are going to be very small because the feedstock you put in doesn't have a high energy density. It's paper or wood. So you're limited by how far the feedstock is away from the plant that before the logistics costs become too expensive. Processing technology, while it's well understood and it's been used for many, many years, is still expensive. And and then again, it uh, is it's also going to depend on airline support. But we are seeing uh, some of these plants now beginning to emerge in the market, and I think we'll start seeing some of these things operating maybe next year. But the big 
push for those is probably going to be further out. It's probably going to be 26, 27 before we, we start seeing more and more of those things coming online. And is that retrofitting existing refining facilities or, or would that be a new build in non-wet western environments presumably you can any of these technologies so right now the renewable diesel fuel or renewable SAF using soybean oil or used cooking oil those are being built inside refine existing refineries or converted refineries that have been shut down or just standalone units so all of those that technology is perfectly compatible with uh, the existing refining industry ethanol to jet it's not clear yet where the bulk of these plants are going to be built but you can pretty much follow the same model with the renewable diesel fuel model which is incorporate an existing refinery or shut down refinery or even a standalone unit you can even might even be able to uh, place these at an ethanol plant somewhere okay biomass to jet fuel those can be standalone you want to get it as close to the feedstock as you can. So you you might build those maybe near a municipal solid waste collection point, or you could put them in refining as long as the refinery is close to a, a feedstock supply. And there are benefits to integrating with refining. You can share electricity and energy, steam, hydrogen, you know, the, you, there is and land. So there is potential to share and certain streams and assets that help reduce the cost well that would seem to be i mean the, the nimby the not in my backyard concerns seem to be mitigated when you can leverage the existing facilities that have already been grandfathered into any nimby uh, yeah it, i think um for some of these you're going to run into it, it's it's going to be the same kind of issues uh, i don't think the people um if you want to build a an ethanol to jet fuel facility, uh, uh, you know, next to a bunch of houses. I don't think people there are going to see that any different than building a refinery. So, um, the, I think the primary where you're going to see this uh, happen the most is in um, existing sites okay. that have either are currently operating hydrocarbon or fuels facilities or are brownfield sites where there was something there before. Okay, and it sounds like the technology is fairly near field, and and so the uh, I suppose the, the catalyst or the hurdles from the downstream refiners' perspective are policy and capital. The policy and capital, that's correct. Okay, and, and before we come back to the policy, how, how about the airlines? Uh, I've read that let's see Honeywell, Air Products, Neste, some of these engineering firms are investing a lot um, within the SAF technology. I'm not sure if that's applicable to the downstream or the airline or both, but are the airlines able to take all the fuel that is produced if downstream starts doing this? Yes, okay. the, uh, they have a goal, like I said, uh, of 10% by volume uh, by 2030 and compared to where we are now. So the airlines have incentive uh, both from their customers as well as their shareholders and stakeholders to reduce their emissions mm -hmm. and from policymakers. So it's it's very likely that they're going to continue to demand sustainable aviation fuel and, and will take whatever can be produced. And I don't need to rebuild my airplane if I swap in SAF. That's right. 
You don't okay. you don't need to. Uh, sustainable aviation fuel is compatible with jet fuel. Okay. All right. So, so you introduced the, the the policy issue that would seem to be driven by the consuming country rather than the, the producing country. Can, can you elaborate? That that's somewhat counterintuitive from, from where I sit. Yeah, it's the consuming countries that want to reduce emissions. So that's where the policy. It, it, it may be an overgeneralization, but it's Europe and North America mm -hmm. primarily, and and now major countries in in Asia, they want to reduce their emissions. And if you are looking at producing, say, renewable diesel fuel or sustainable aviation fuel, in a country that is not pushing hard on reducing emissions. The, that fuel is going to have to meet the emissions criteria of the consuming countries. Now, the way that's done is the consuming countries, the regulation companies, the countries with policies and regulations, which tend to be the big consumers, mm -hmm. they, their rules generally specify how much you must reduce your carbon intensity of fuel every year. So if you have a very low carbon intensity fuel, you get a higher credit okay. than if you have a, a high carbon intensity fuel, you get a lower credit. So that's how the incentive generally works. Okay, so, so the incentive then is to buy rather than produce, and presumably if the demand from the buyers there, the refining complex will respond. Yes. Okay. And so what, how about if we're looking at competing technologies? I mean, I, one of the things I was talking with a friend about recently that, that anybody who's driven a battery powered golf cart knows it can run out of batteries and you've got a long walk on your hands, right? If, if I'm in a battery powered airplane, there, there's a little bit more concern, at least from my ignorant perspective. Hydrogen is another one floated a, a, as green alternatives. How does SAF stack up against battery and or um, hydrogen technologies in aircraft? First thing is you don't need a new airplane. The second is that this has a higher energy density than the other alternatives that you just mentioned. So, you know, liquid jet fuel has a very high energy density. That's uh, one of uh, liquid hydrocarbon fuels, their energy density and ease of handling make them very attractive and very hard to beat. So, you know, a hydrogen airplane, hydrogen, low energy density, you need new equipment, new planes, and it's difficult to handle. Mm -hmm. One thing to, uh, while others are considering, uh, or there are some far out plans or thoughts about battery airplanes and hydrogen airplanes, you know, those are all possible, but there is a lot that we can do to reduce the carbon intensity of a liquid jet fuel before we would need to look at some of these other technologies. So I, I suspect that we're talking many, many years before we start seeing anything uh, other than a liquid fuel showing up in airplanes. Many years, and then is the first mover advantage so great that, that it's not even really worth serious consideration from liquid fuels? It could be. One of the things that um, we need to consider is that if you technical innovation applies to all energy, for for aircraft and other things so if you there is still a great deal of potential innovation and creativity 
on the liquid fuel side, it may be that we do that so well that you don't need another uh, fuel that would require a whole new airplane, for example. Mm-hmm. And I've read where that, that some of the, the, the cost of sustainable aviation fuels is the more the numbers I saw was three times that of just standard jet. That's and correct. Many of us, if not all of us, are very focused on the price of our airline ticket when we buy it. And airlines are notoriously difficult businesses because all the costs are labor and fuel. How, how is that cost going down? And is the policy, if it's not going down quickly enough, is the policy support great enough to make the consumer indifferent? Well, that high price is not the price that shows up in the in the fuel cost for an airline. Okay. So the the one way to look at this is that if I'm going to be if I'm making sustainable aviation fuel and I'm the producer and I'm using any of these technologies, I'm going to be paying. It's going to cost me quite a bit more than it costs for crude oil based jet fuel. So the policies create tax incentives and credits that help offset that higher cost. So in the, if you live in California and you want to market aviation fuel in California, starting in 2024, when the uh, Inflation Reduction Act went into effect, I'll be able to get a uh, what's called a, a RIN, which is applied from the, it's a credit available for biofuels at the federal level as part of the um, part of the renewable fuel standard. I'll be able to get a blender tax credit of about $1.25 a gallon. That's coming in as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. So that's another credit I would get. And then in California, I'd have the low carbon fuel standard. And the, the low carbon fuel credit, the value of that is based on the carbon intensity of the of the sustainable aviation fuel that I make. So the lower the carbon intensity, the greater that credit. So the way it could work here is that you as an airline might pay me the price of jet fuel, regular jet fuel, and I would keep all the credits to help offset my cost. So it doesn't necessarily have to show up as an increased cost of the ticket. Okay, and how does that work then on the regional aspect? Are are there certain countries or states or regions that the the policy is that far advanced where I can, where I'm more incentivized as that consumer to to start taking that uh, sustainable aviation fuel? Yeah, right now it's uh, California is the largest incentive and uh, also the EU. Now, aviation fuel presents a little bit different challenge in that a lot of the fuel consumed by a given airplane isn't consumed in California. So it's going to fly outside. So there's a question about, well, okay, where does that, where's the credit apply? How much of the aviation fuel should it apply to? Uh, In the case of, well, what if it's a, uh, an LA to Europe flight? Mm -hmm. And it's flying from one jurisdiction to another. How do we how do we divvy that up? So it's coming with some additional policy and regulatory complications that are being worked out. So to me, this is an issue that, yep, we got to work this out, but we will work it out. And so this is an area that isn't quite fully baked yet, and okay. uh, we we and people are working on it now to to try to sort it out. 
it seems the most complex to, to me that the technology seems to be near field that the the overall called the engineering model side of it seems to be fairly quote unquote easy of course easy is an exaggeration but the complexities of the paper side or the policy side seem infinitely complex yeah now remember if you're going to make sustainable aviation fuel uh you're making two things you're making jet fuel mm -hmm. but you're making credits okay so there are two products there's the liquid fuel mm -hmm. and then there are all those credits that you also get money for and that's what adds the complication is being a because you've now gone from theoretically making one product which is jet to as many as four or five products depending on how many credits you get so each one of those is going to come with its own set of rules its own set of regulations and then to an added complication is the interjurisdictional flow of jet fuel and the, just the nature of how jet fuel is consumed. It's complicated, but I don't think it's the most complicated environmental policy regulation that's come around. So <laughs> probably uh, not. Yeah. So <laughs> I think uh, everything I've seen is that these are solvable problems and they're they're not really going to be a showstopper or even slow okay. things down. Are we seeing corridors that that like a a to, to pick on the example you just gave from California to say somewhere in, in Europe where that there's reciprocity or, or something on that renewable credit where certain flights in certain directions are recognizing each other's policies differently than a flight from California to a place without similar policy. That could be kind of uh, difficult to do, uh, but I have heard that, that you know, that's being thought about. There, another one is book and claim where I, let's say that in, I'm a European flight leaving Los Angeles and I fill up with jet fuel that is 40% sustainable aviation fuel. So now I, I can book that as 40% SAF mm -hmm. and then I can claim it in different markets. So I can use some of it to comply with California. I can use some to comply with the US and I can book some to comply with Europe. So these are different rules that are being worked out. And, you know, it, it, time will tell. But the, I think the goal, at least in Europe, the goal is to have something worked out sometime next year. OK. And so it feels in kind of the, the, the grand scheme of things that, that we're fairly early days in the sustainable aviation fuel I guess, market, for lack of a better yeah. word. But, but I know the aviation industry as a whole wants to be carbon neutral by 2050. Yep. And it sounds like that's very much in play based on what you're saying. Yeah. So to use an airline example uh, analogy, uh, we've just started rolling down the runway. <laughs> okay. So. And, and we're cleared for takeoff. And we're cleared for takeoff. That's exactly right. Okay. So so what are you, what are you looking for? What are you watching? It's September 2022. We, we've just had the Inflation Reduction Act, which you mentioned. Um, in the U.S., so are you watching for certain catalysts on the policy front, on the perhaps the operator front? Are you looking for a technology or, or a capital project from airlines or downstream to, to move us into that liftoff phase to continue the analogy? I'm not looking so much anymore for a specific event. I think the thing to watch now is how feedstock supply evolves to meet demand so is there which how is that that feedstock pool going to to increase 
and and uh, to provide the, the the fuel. That's an issue, and that's something we want to watch. I'd be watching things like as uh, diverse as non-edible oil crops like camelina or something like that coming in. Also be looking for CO2 pipelines okay. attached to ethanol plants to reduce the carbon intensity of corn ethanol, which would then make for, you could technically use that for low carbon jet fuel. That's another thing to be watching for is are, are those things progressing? So. You know, there are a number of different things that we could be watching for, but I, I don't, I'm not looking, I don't think there's the policy side, it's already left the station. We're just sorting out what it's going to look like. Airlines have already said what their goals are, and um, those probably aren't going to change much. So I think now it's implementation is probably the biggest issue. And that's kind of one of those slow evolutionary things you just, uh, People announce things and it, it begins to move forward. Okay. And then from the kind of the competitor standpoint, are there any innovators that, you know, I mentioned earlier, Neste and Air Products and Honeywell from kind of the engineering perspective, how about within the airlines themselves or downstream refining themselves? Or is, is all the technology early dispersed and, and, and nobody's doing anything differently than another? One thing to watch for is I think right now the the different vendors and and companies that are out there, um, they've been in the business for a while. So they've been working on their technologies and pathways and things. So we don't really have anybody I'd say is a brand new entrant entrant into the, the business. But with the passage of the IRA, I think one of the things now to watch for is the IRA has essentially taken some of the political risk out of SAF or some of the regulatory risk. So now what's going to be interesting is to see who now enters the business as uh, with now that we've de-risked part of the policy side. You know, who will the new entrants be? They're going to be people that we, companies that we know already. And then on, on the other side of that is what other technologies might come out? Now that we've had uh, the IRA put in place and we're seeing Euro the European market firming up in terms of policy risk, um, it may be opening the door for some new technologies that we have not seen yet. And I think that's going to be one of the more exciting areas to see. It, does somebody come along with a better way of making jet fuel than we already understand? Well, one more question, and then I'll let you go. That, that we said at the beginning of the call that two and a half percent of global CO two emissions come from the, the airline industry, and that you mentioned the airline industry as a whole is looking to be carbon neutral by twenty fifty, which involves the, the trading away of a carbon impact. If we remove the paper side of it, does that two and a half percent? It doesn't fall to zero, but but how how much can it fall as we move into what more of a sustainable aviation fuel percentage blend? The pathway to get there is going to be a whole mix of things. It's not going to be a, a single solution. The so I think it's going to be it'll, a net zero may be an industry number rather than an individual airline number. It could be aspirational and not real, and not attainable. But we've seen sources of SAF. People are talking about negative carbon footprints that you sequester the carb CO two. And you end up with something that has a negative 
carbon intensity. And how much of that comes on, we don't know yet, but those technologies and those kinds of operations are being developed. So I, whether you get to net zero by 2050, it's gonna be very difficult by the nature of the business. But I would say that the pathway to get there is gonna be, depends on the technology and the feedstock that you're gonna use. And it's also gonna depend on the efficiency of the plane itself. Mm -hmm is we can make airplanes a lot more efficient than they already are. So that also is going to contribute to a lower carbon footprint. And it makes a fuel-based SAF or emissions reduction easier if you're using less fuel per seat mile. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, thank you, Kevin. And I will flag it as I try to always do. Sometimes I forget, but, but if anyone listening wants to reach out to, to learn more about what SP Commodity Insights is doing around uh, SAF and biofuels in general and, and hear more from Kevin and his team. Um, the email address is energysense at ihsmarket.com and we can put you in touch. And any feedback on this podcast is, of course, encouraged and welcome. So, so Kevin, thanks for joining me again. And I, uh, I hope to continue the conversation in the future. My pleasure, Hill. Thank you. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.